0: Well, you may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter um, 28. And for those of you that are guests this morning, uh, my name is Joey and I'm the pastor here and um, it is, we are very happy To have you, and like Clark said earlier, uh, if you wouldn't mind just even filling out a Connect card, which is in the pew in front of you, and dropping that in one of our designated drop boxes on the way out, which are mounted on the walls, white boxes, I'd love to just send you a thank you note uh, for being with us and to. Just give you a little bit more information about who we are and what we believe. Uh, we are three quarters of the way through, uh, just a really short series that we have been going through, uh, that we've just titled Building the Church. And so over the course of this summer, we have worked through, through, uh, our statement of faith, if you will. We've looked to the scriptures. And we have uh, explored various doctrines containing scriptures as we have sought as a church to be, uh, and you've heard me say this, whole council of God people. And uh, we want to believe, uh, confess all that God's Word teaches us. And uh, in the midst of that, we have looked at how we should function. And at the risk of being over-redundant, I thought that we should... uh, Uh, be extra clear and just do a short four-week series at the conclusion of uh, our series through the 1689, which is our statement of faith, uh, just uh, working through how we function in light of our theology. And so, uh, again, our theology, it really doesn't matter unless we apply our theology. And so our philosophy is vitally important because our philosophy is the application of what it is that we say that we believe. And if our philosophy does not complement our theology, uh, then we have, there's a disconnect, there's an issue. And so we want to be a church that is biblical in the way that we go about functioning both as we're gathered and both as uh, God's church scattered, um, being testimonies, ambassadors for Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. This morning, we're going to look at building the church through missions. Next week, we're going to look at building the church through uh, biblical optimism, which is another way of me saying for the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about missions. And I wanted to give myself two weeks to do that. And um, but, uh, and so the next two weeks we're gonna see a little bit of, of overlap, and I want to frame something for us right out of the get go before I read, uh, the Great Commission. This morning, as individual Christians, that are, uh, again, in a truer sense, God's bride, God's body, Uh, we are to be ambassadors for Christ, committed to proclaiming the gospel uh, to all those that God puts in our path. And so uh, one of our takeaways even this morning, as we're going to see, is that we should, uh, because when we think about missions and we think about the Great Commission, as we're going to look at this morning, we think uh, primarily of out there, like Uh, We need to get on an airplane and we need to go out there, which is good and which is important and which is godly and which is a part of the Great Commission, to be certain. Uh, But we are called as Christians uh, to proclaim the gospel starting in our homes, right? And so we want to um, uh, preach the gospel to one another. We want uh, to prayerfully uh, um, uh, proclaim the gospel to our children, trusting that, that God's word administered to them faithfully by parents who fear God won't return void, that the Lord will, in fact, save them by his spirit. Uh, and uh, we should be proclaiming the gospel to our neighbors. And so when we're looking uh, outside at our literal neighbors, uh, we should be thinking, man, what... What is my responsibility as one that's called to be in their life? I know I'm called to be in their life because God's put me in their life by having us live in a house right beside this person. Are they Christians? Are they right with God? Uh, How can I hospitably proclaim the gospel to them? And so I I certainly want us to think about that. Uh, And the reason why I want to say that up front uh, and say evangelize your home, evangelize your neighbors, and, and connect them to a local church. The reason I want to say that up front is because the majority of this sermon, I'm going to spend time on thinking through the Great Commission from a local church perspective, because I think that that's what's in view and what we oftentimes uh, don't see when we think about how to do missions Biblically, when we think about the word missionary, when we think about going overseas and proclaiming the gospel, I want to frame it in the context of the local church, which you will see has been a theme over uh, not just the course of the summer, but especially over the last couple of weeks as, we, as we've worked through Lord's Day and membership and now today missions. And so I wanted to be clear up front about our individual responsibilities as ambassadors for Christ, but what I'm going to put forward is a view for our corporate Responsibility as it relates to missions, okay? And so with that said, I'm going to read Matthew 28, starting in verse chapter 18, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to spend all of this morning just working through uh, that particular passage. And so Matthew chapter 28, Matthew documents this. This is Christ's final parting words before he ascends in power to the right hand of the Father. He says this to the disciples. Jesus came. And he said to them, all authority, right, not some, right? all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to open it, God. Thank you, Lord, that you have kept it pure in all ages, God, and we can trust what it says. And by your Spirit, Lord, we can rightly interpret it and apply it, God. Submit our lives to it, and we ask that you would help us do that even now, God. And so help us um, to um, glorify you. And Lord, strengthen us and encourage us from having met here this morning as your gathered church, and I pray this in Jesus name amen well like I said, these were the parting words uh, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, th- this is, this is his final instructions um, in, in, in its post resurrection right he's in his glorified state he bodily and eternally rose from the dead, he appeared to witnesses he Eight in front of the disciples and uh, to, to showcase the fact that his, his resurrection wasn't spiritual. It, it, it was, in fact, a bodily resurrection. And before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, uh, he gave this plan. He gave this, this strategy, uh, this command to, to his disciples, right? those in the first century. And this command comes to us through them and through their faithfulness and through them actually taking this command seriously and preaching the gospel um, uh, as the Lord allowed them to. Uh, and, And if you have a habit of reading the commentary that we put out every week, and we put out hard copies in the lobby, we send it to you in PDF format through the Monday message, then you'll notice that the Chris Mooring this week, he did the, the commentary on the Great Commission, and he described the Great Commission in this way, and I told him I was going to steal, steal this, but the, the Great Commission, he says, begins with the authority of Jesus, is from Jesus, is made successful by Jesus is about Jesus, and ends with the presence of Jesus. I love that summary there. The Great Commission begins with the authority of Jesus, is from Jesus, is made successful by Jesus, is about Jesus, and it ends with the presence of Jesus. Christ is central In the Great Commission, and we can't lose sight of that because, as we'll see this morning, everything flows—everything that we are and everything that we do flows from that fixed reality. Right? Christ is central. But let's spend some time this morning just breaking down what, uh, for any of us that's been in church life for any length of time, what is is familiar to us—the Great Commission here. And so, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. First is this: Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth, right? Jesus has authority in heaven and on earth. That's what verse 18 says, which is often, uh, unfortunately, detached oftentimes from the Great Commission, right? If I asked uh, any group of Christians to perhaps quote the Great Commission from memory, uh, they may start at verse 19, right? In verse 19 and 20, uh, they don't make sense, and they're impossible apart from verse 18 here, right? Christ has all authority. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This this is another way of saying that Jesus has authority over what you can't see, and Jesus has authority over what you can see. And and to help put this into clearer focus for us, consider for a minute the Apostle Paul's words inspired by the Holy Spirit of God in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 here. The Apostle Paul says this, he speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Christ has authority over the visible, Christ has authority over the invisible. Christ has authority over absolutely everything. And that word authority here, it means weight, it means power, it means moral influence, it means control, right? Everything is under Christ who is authority. And Jesus has every bit of authority because he's creator, he has every bit of authority because he's savior. He has every bit of authority because he's sustainer, right? Christ, who's truly God and truly man, reigns over all things that he's created. Those things visible, those things invisible, those thrones, principalities, dominions, powers, those spiritual forces, both angelic and demonic, those lesser magistrates, no matter how noble or tyrannical Our Jesus came into this world and subjected himself, humiliated himself in the taking on of our sinfulness and the taking on of our infirmities and bearing the reproach that we deserve, that Jesus died and was buried and was bodily and eternally resurrected in this world. And since that first Lord's Day, that first Resurrection Sunday, this world has been increasingly growing in her knowledge of the Lord, the news of Christ's resurrection, and thus his authority is expanding. It's expanding, and that's exciting to me. That should be exciting to us as a church, because the reason why we're here this morning is because Christ has authority. Afghanistan has been dominating much of the the news lately, and I I don't know how many of you know this, but Afghanistan has the second fastest growing church in the world. The second fastest growing church in the world, second only to Iran. Iran. And Afghanistan is being reached for Christ primarily because of Iranian uh, missionaries. But think about all the horrific things that are going on in Afghanistan. Right, think of the chaos. Think of the, the violence. And, and not just what's going on right now, but what's been going on for years and years and years there. Right, it seems to us that, that like if we're thinking naturally here, that the church shouldn't be growing and thriving there. But it is, and it has been. Now, how is it that a place like Afghanistan or a place like Iran can expand, especially in light of the the political climate of the day? It's because Christ has authority over Afghanistan, right? It's because Christ has authority over Iran, and he's been sending Iranian missionaries to his people in Afghanistan for a a, a long time. And, and what's significant about that and what we should really consider and internalize is if Christ didn't have authority, missions would not be possible. Right? If Christ didn't have authority, missions would not be possible. Right? If Christ didn't have authority, it would be impossible for any of us to become Christians. We could, be a uh, cu- we could be smooth-selling culturally speaking. We could be smooth-selling politically speaking. We could be smooth-selling economically speaking. Yet, if Christ didn't have authority, not a single one of us would be Christians. Right? The conditions on the ground, they don't matter. They don't matter. What's happening in society doesn't matter as it relates to God's cosmic plan of bringing the nations to himself. Right? Earthly empires... They come and they go, All right? But Christ's kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom is utterly unstoppable. It's utterly unstoppable, All right? Christ possesses authority. Therefore, making disciples is not only possible, but it's a certainty. It's a certainty. Christ will build his church. He will build his church. And get this, he uses us as the means by which he'll build his church. Isn't that incredible? The the reason why those of us who have been saved, those of us who are in Christ, the the reason why we didn't die the moment that we became Christians is because we're the very means that God has ordained by which he chooses to reach the nations. He invites us into that cosmic plan, which gets us to the second point this morning. We labor from Christ's authority. Christ who has all authority. We labor from that authority. That's so what the first part of verse 19 says. Go therefore. Right? That's why verse 19 makes no sense apart from verse 18. Therefore, what is he talking about? Right? Because Christ has authority, go. Go. right. And Put it another way. We could read this section this way. As you go, quote, as you go in light of Christ's authority... This isn't a clock in, clock out sort of thing. And going in light of Christ's authority makes us what? I've already said it once this morning, it makes us ambassadors, right? This is why the Great Commission doesn't, again, make sense apart from verse 18. What should motivate our evangelism, what should uh, motivate us to make disciples is the reality that we're sent in the authority of Christ Jesus, right? We go and we speak on the basis of his reputation. We go and speak with his particular message, and we speak with His particular message as revealed to us in His Scripture. Right, we, we aren't fulfilling, and, 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 and this is what we really need to pay attention to, we're not as Christians fulfilling the Great Commission autonomously. This is another reason why you see, if you flip, you know, if you flip over to Acts, which documents, the, the, the traces the first century church there, right? You see the Holy Spirit of God come in Pentecost because this isn't something that Christians can achieve, operating independent, independent of Christ's authority, nor independent from one another. We don't fulfill the Great Commission autonomously, right? We aren't, we aren't, and we aren't making this thing up as we go along. Jesus has given us his name through our union with him, and he's given us his word and and preserved it as the message that we're to herald, the message that we're to proclaim, a message of of repentance from sin, faith in Jesus, and obedience to his commands. We go in the authority of Christ. And, And how do we do this principally? This is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. How do we do this principally? We do this, we make disciples of Jesus in all nations primarily through church planting. We make disciples of Jesus in all nations primarily through church planting. It's the second part of, of verse 19 going into verse 20. It's implicit here. And, and, and Lord willing, this will become clear to us as we kind of work through this. And makes so a go, therefore, first part of verse 19, second part of verse 19, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit right this trinitarian baptism here verse 20 teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you right? one thing i think that we often miss when we look at the great commission is that it implies church planting especially when we connect it as christ does to the, the sacrament or the ordinance of baptism right which is a lord's uh, which is a local church ordinance and and with teaching right furthermore those of us familiar with the New Testament, we have evidence that this is how the disciples that Christ initially gave this commission to, this is how they primarily sought to fulfill it through church planting, right? We, we see that all throughout the New Testament. Baptisms generally happen under the authority of God's church expressed in local assemblies like ours. The word teach or, or the phrase teaching them is possessing the ability to explain Scripture and apply it to people's lives. And this is why I think when we hear the word missionary, right, which we've got all sorts of confusion, cloudiness around that, that term, that phrase. When we hear the word missionary, we should think primarily of vetted, equipped accountable pastors. When we hear the word missionary, we should think primarily of vetted, equipped, accountable pastors. Now again, this this doesn't negate our responsibility as individuals to evangelize people within our sphere of influence, right? That's why I wanted to make that clear even up front when we began uh, the message this morning, right? We're called by God to be ambassadors for Christ. Every single one of us, right? We're called to build God's church through intentionally promoting the gospel, uh, both uh, through our proclaiming of it and through a life that testifies to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But there's much more to the Great Commission than what we usually see or what we initially see. We're not we're not to go detached from God's church. Right, we, we're, we're not to go as individuals fulfilling the Great Commission, even though, of, of course, we're individuals. but We go connected to the body of Christ. We go as a corporate people. We go with accountability. We go with Scripture-informed methods. The Great Commission necessitates the producing of baptized disciples that are taught to obey God's Word. This means that the way we go about fulfilling the Great Commission matters. The way we go about, the process in which we go about fulfilling the Great Commission, it matters. And if I'm teaching a passage as I am this morning, like Matthew chapter 28, and I see baptism and I see the word teaching, and I step back and I ask myself, what is the primary way that disciples are made? I think of a passage like Romans chapter 10, and maybe that's popped into some of your minds already. You can flip over there briefly if you like. I think we we have it in the notes, but specifically verses 12 to 15 here. So Romans 10, starting with verse 12, going to verse 15. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. This is Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. It says, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Quote, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. He goes through a list of rhetorical questions in order to teach a a point here. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When we look at a passage like Matthew 28, we harmonize it with a passage like Romans chapter 10. Right? A method comes clear into focus here. Belief, generally speaking, necessitates hearing. Hearing necessitates preaching. Preaching necessitates someone sending the preacher. Again, there's kind of a corporate, a a cooperative nature to how we do missions. Right? If we're making disciples, if we're baptizing them in the name of our triune God, and if we're teaching them to obey God's Word, this means that the church must be committed to local church planting and missions. Right? This, this connects, uh, I think, well f- with what we talked about even last week when we talked about church membership. Right, Church membership, while we don't see, the again, the word membership in the Scripture, membership opens up the door. It opens up the opportunity for Christians to be obedient to all of God's word. But disciple-making, it comes primarily through preaching. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved as followed by how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, the good news. Now, again, should we all herald the good news of the Gospel absolutely, yet when we think of the Great Commission, again, my fear is we attach it too much from the local church context. We tend to read things in God into god 's word and then turn and function just so individualistically, if you will. Right, we even speak about callings from God in this way i 'm called to this. God has called me to do this. God's put a burden on my heart to do this, right? We may say those sorts of things to ourselves, but we need to follow that up, and I'm not negating a calling by any means, but we need to follow that up with is that, that calling in accordance with God's methods in Scripture. Right? Does your local church that you're to submit to in agreement with the assessment of your calling? Right, I've seen all sorts of so-called missionaries a lot of missionaries abandon God's methods, abandon accountability, abandon church counsel, all in the name of some arbitrary calling, when in reality what's going on under the surface is pride and arrogance and a, uh, uh, an unwillingness to submit to a more thorough sort of process. And as, as we seek to be a church that's missionally engaged, which all churches Gospel-preaching churches should be missionally engaged. We need to be thinking carefully about God's Word as it relates to our theology of missions. We need to be thinking carefully about God's Word on our process of missions, which is our philosophy of missions. We need to be thinking about accountability, and we need to be thinking about sustainability. Is this sustainable? We need to be investing money in, in training we need to be investing our time into training. We need to be investing in, in supporting and strengthening godly men to be under shepherds for those God's called our church to reach. Now, now, a word, because this is a little bit of an offshoot here, but just a, a word about humanitarian efforts, because some of us may be wondering that. Is there is there a place for humanitarian efforts, sort of? mercy missions, if you will. Yes, yes, absolutely, right? And we're engaged with several of those already here at Deer Park, right? Are things like orphanages or well digging, are they good investments of our time and of our resources? Yes, but we need to frame it appropriately. We should see them as auxiliary Mini, uh, missions or ministries of the local church. And, and, and I would even say distinct from the Great Commission, although the two can rub shoulders or should rub shoulders, meaning that the gospel should never be withheld in our humanitarian efforts. I've quoted John Piper before on this issue, but he's, he's worth repeating here. He says that, that Christians should care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. In other words, we can't lose sight of the primary reason why we're here, which is to expand God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven in the way in which He's called us to do it. We don't have the luxury of getting creative here, and praise God for that, because He's made it quite simple and straightforward for us. What is complicated is... is is our own sin nature that we bring into the process of even serving God, our own pride that we bring to the process even in our service to God. Now, the last two weeks, we've worked through the centrality of God's church, both from a Lord's Day aspect and, again, from a membership aspect. And this isn't just for our good, although it is for our good, but this is God's plan to reach the nations. And what we have to do is submit to it and trust Him by operating According to his word, God will reach the nations primarily through the ordinary means of grace word, prayer, sacrament, word, prayer, Sacrament, And we see some of that even implicit in the Great Commission here. We see Christ as the head who has authority, giving marching orders of the word-centered nature of teaching, preaching, disciple-making. We see a sacrament, an ordinance there. We see baptism, right? But we also see this aspect that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment of teaching them. Uh, he says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, which really does require that they be in the context of God's church. This is how we reach the world. Now, some of us may be saying, this isn't expedient. This, is, this isn't expedient. This seems slow. Aren't people dying and going to hell by the bucket load, right? Those are things that we may be thinking. It's not expedient, right? This process isn't expedient. But the God who's called us to do it is also sovereign over the timetable, Right? And I would even argue that any missions agency or plan that seems to be fast under the banner of some frantic, we-have-to-reach-people-yesterday should automatically be suspect to us. Our zealousness to reach the nations shouldn't cause us to dishonoring God by ignoring His prescribed process. We need to slow down. We need to submit to God's sovereignty, right? We need to be reminded of how Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom grows like a mustard seed into a large tree, Matthew thirteen thirty-one to 32. God's kingdom is like a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. The very next verse, verse 33. No matter how much we may try to expedite the process of making disciples in our production-driven society, only God brings the increase. Only God brings the increase. Our making of disciples isn't to be driven by methods. Our process of making disciples isn't to be adapted from some marketing ploy, business ploy, if you will. And, And our temptation to default to that or to think that way Again, is something to repent of. And I think of First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen, where Paul says the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not under, able, he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. God's methods may seem like folly to us when we're thinking worldly about accomplishing spiritual things. God's methods may seem like folly to us when we think worldly about accomplishing spiritual things. Yet our God is concerned just just as much about how we make disciples as He cares that we do make disciples disciples. Our process matters just as much as the results. We submit to God, and we submit to His Word. And just in case that isn't convincing enough for us, and we're tempted to think that the Great Commission should have some sort of expedited, frantic process, Jesus again throttles us back here, and He says, teach them, right? Those disciples that have been made, those disciples that have had a Trinitarian baptism, He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Listen carefully here. The Great Commission is not complete until the nations are evangelized and submissive to God's Word. The Great Commission is not complete until the nations are evangelized and submissive to God's Word. So we're to be in it for the long haul. So we should want our approach to missions to be Biblically and philosophically in alignment, in alignment, we should want it to be sustainable for the long term, caring for God's people as He would have us care for them. And in this larger-than-life, what can sometimes for us feel frustrating plan, that the Lord has entrusted to us, this good deposit of the gospel that He's entrusted to us as this church, we, He leaves the Great Commission off. With a promise. And I love this. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right? This, 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 in the thorns and thistles of making disciples, in the thorns and thistles of, of, of giving Trinitarian baptisms, in the thorns and thistles of teaching them to obey all that God's commanded, just when we feel like, man, there may be some despair sitting in. We're reminded that Christ, who has all authority, is spiritually present with us. Spiritually present with us. And and one day, and we remember this every time we take the Lord's Supper, when we come to the table each and every Lord's Day, we're reminded that Christ, whose body was broken and blood was spilled for us so that we could be reconciled to the Father, when He instituted this supper, He said, I won't take it again until I return. There's a promise of His return. He's spiritually with us now. And we look forward one day when the Great Commission is complete, when, when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation have been reached, and when they're submissive to God's Word, and when they've had a Trinitarian baptism, and Christ comes back for His bride. Right? That's, that's, that's the very thing that we can look forward to. Right? Worshiping Him without those hindrances of, of, of sin and sorrow. But Christ is with us in this larger-than-life task Christ, who's sovereign and has authority over all things, Christ, who has laid out the way in which we're to go about this, this whole project, this mission, um, endeavor, is spiritually with us. Right. So, the work may seem standstill at times. The work may not seem expedient like we would want, want it to be. Again, there may be thorns and thistles there, but Christ is with us. The Christ who has authority over things visible and invisible, is the same Christ that's with us now, present with us, and will return physically when his great commission is complete. So a few takeaways for us this morning. The first is this. Christ has all authority, and we have this in your worship, God. That Christ has all authority, therefore our missions should testify to that. All right, Christ has all authority, therefore our missions should testify to that. Secondly, the Great Commission is accomplished primarily through local church planting. Therefore, our mission endeavors should be chiefly focused on planting and strengthening like-minded local churches. Third, we should not confuse humanitarian efforts with Great Commission efforts. Humanitarian efforts are good and godly, but they should never take the place of our chief calling, the Great Commission. Fourth, God has called us to reach the nations, and this begins with faithfulness where we are. Right? Our home, our children, our neighborhood. And then lastly, the Great Commission won't be complete until God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation confess Christ as Lord, are given a Trinitarian baptism, and are taught to obey all that He's commanded. Let's in faith Ask for the Lord's help in doing this as we operate according to His Word. Uh, And let's go to Him now in prayer. Lord, thank You for this commissioning that You've given us, God. Thank You, Lord, that um, it's possible not because of our own strength. It's possible solely because You have authority, God. And so, help us to rest in uh, not in just the fact that, that your will will be done, but help us to rest in the fact that um, the process that you've given us really is effective. And, uh, and help us to uh, humble ourselves and to not try to tweak it or modify it, God, or, or to distort it through some sort of savvy business plan, um, but rest in your means of word, prayer, and sacrament.